jump in today. This is the third in the series called Change. We're not going to take any time to review this morning like we usually do because I want to be very, very quick about what I'm bringing today. The, the title of the message is called Three Kinds of Change. Everybody say that with me. Three Kinds of Change. Our series text is Hebrews 13, 8. Find a screen, read it out loud. Here we go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our message text this morning is two verses of familiar passage to you from the New Testament letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this out loud together. Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. I heard someone say one time that there are actually three wills of God. There's the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. And that's completely, totally nonsense. These three words describe one will. As a matter of fact, let me take the time to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So his will, his one will, is good and acceptable, it's pleasing and it's perfect. It's all of those words describe God's perfect will for you. Somebody say amen. One thing, this is the, the, this, the chorus that we sing throughout the message that I want you to grab and take home with you that this week when you have a moment and you flag it in your faith a little bit and you forget for a second who you are and you're reminded by the presence of the Holy Spirit, this one thing sticks out. Everybody say it. Here we go. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Say that like you mean it. Come on. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Let me explain that. That basically says that if you keep doing what you have been doing, you will keep getting what you have gotten. Um, it, it is an overused, almost cliche quote by Einstein, but it still merits our taking the time to share it. And that is, if you keep doing things as you have been, expecting different results, it's insanity. And so you have to change something. Nothing changes if Nothing changes. To this point, the first two messages, we've talked about the changes externally all around us. This morning, I want to move inside, and I want to talk about our internal changes and how we're able to do that. Change is difficult. Change is hard. It's painful. We gravitate as humans toward the comfortability. We we like the status quo because we've dug a rut. We're like the man in John 5 who has been laying beside the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, and the bed has his impression in it. He, he likes the way it feels and the way it lays, and Jesus comes to him and says, sir, do you want to get well? How many of you know sometimes we get so comfortable the way things are that we really don't want to change the status quo? As the preacher said, that's Latin for the mess we's in. <laughs> status quo, just the way things are. And so nothing changes if Nothing changes. It was a Chinese proverb that said, when the winds of change blow, some people build walls, other people build windmills. Winds of change are blowing. 
This is a season in Victory Church where, where things are going to be very different. I was standing out there in the middle of the platform the other day and looking down and recognizing that this new platform is a foot lower and it has steps on the far sides, but there's not any steps right in front of me. So I'm going to have to readjust how I normally do this all the time. Otherwise, I may be flat on my face and somebody coming and laying hands on my bruised self. Um, so it'll be a little bit different. Things don't stay the same. Uh, the, the way we do things, the being in a new place, the fact that we, uh, especially when we go to two services in this place, we'll need a parking lot ministry to be able to direct people in and out of there and keep the flow going. So there'll be new ministries emerging, just like we've talked about our special needs ministry. The way we're doing things will be altered slightly. And so if, if you like things the way they are and you don't ever want them to change, guess what? You're going to be frustrated because life means change, because growth means change. Somebody say amen. So we're talking about three words that appear. If you would go ahead and put 12.2 back up on the screen for me this morning, and let's look at those. Say the three words. Do not be to this world, but be by the renewal of your mind. So we've got three terms, and two of them that I'm using appear directly in the Scripture. The other one I've... I've altered, it means the same thing, just for the sake of the teaching tool this morning. Everybody say conform, reform, and transform. So you can obviously see conform and transform are there. Reform is just another word of renewal. Okay, so when we get there, I want you to see this this morning. There are three kinds of change. Two of them are active. One of them is passive. I can just sit back and let one of them happen to me. Okay? Two of them are positive, one of them is negative. The Bible says of one of them, don't let this happen to you. Of the other two, this is something we must be actively pursuing. So let's jump in this morning. The first word is conform. Everybody say conform. Greek word is syskematizo. Schema is the idea of putting on a cover, like a mask at Halloween. It's putting on something that you're not. It's the idea of fashioning According to a particular standard, the only problem is the standard is not godly. The standard is the world because it says do not be conformed to the world. Don't take on the fashion. Now, don't confuse that with clothes and things that are trendy in terms of the new lines that are coming out for the spring, okay, for ladies or gentlemen's clothing or like a friend of mine who comes to the first service we were talking yesterday. And by the way, let me just back up for a second. Let me just hit the pause on my thought. Let me thank everybody who came out. We had an amazing crowd who came out. We got that whole room. It's about 95% cleaned out. Michael Rushing loaned us his two big box trucks. We were able to move stuff that we're keeping, stuff that we're giving away down to another location, uh, uh, some warehouse storage that he has here in the city, and we threw away that whole dumpster full of all the kind of stuff. It just feels so good to clean out. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you get rid of the clutter and you throw out the junk that you hadn't used in 25 years, and one of, one of the brothers, I'll just go ahead and tell you it was, it's Jerome Offord. He says, shoot, I've got wingtips that I've had for 45 years. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm hanging on to a couple of leisure suits thinking they might actually come back in style. He was joking. He was joking, but things, trends, fashion changes. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that sometimes things that were really popular, uh, you know, that are popular right now, folk don't realize it, but they were really popular 30 years ago. I remember when my son Drew was in high school and all the boys started wearing these suede Clark shoes. 
And they just thought that was the coolest thing. And Don told him one day, he said, you ain't got nothing on us. We wore those things 30 years ago. Who do you think you are? <laughs> My amazing little quick-witted wife. Uh, so don't confuse fashion or clothing with the Bible idea of being fashioned with something. It's the idea of an implement or a tool that is, that is conforming you to a particular image or a mold. As a matter of fact, I'll read it again. The, the New Living Translation says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, this isn't just uh, you know, staying away from temptation or things that you know that are not godly or trends in society that are moving us toward a looser way of thinking. I'm not going to stop and, and, and multiply examples of what those are. I, you, you guys are thinking people. You're smart. You're educated people. You, you can look around and see, and you can think of things that you know that this is the way the world's going, and this is not the way God intends us to go as believers. Uh, you've probably seen the meme of all the fish flowing with the water, and then the Christian is facing the other direction, attempting to swim upstream against the flow, against the tide, against the trend, against the fashionable behaviors of the world. Because the Bible says don't be conformed. Don't put on the, the Halloween mask something that you're not. Don't let peer pressure push you into the direction of something that you know that you shouldn't do or shouldn't be. Don't shout me down, but somebody say amen. Okay? Where is the larger culture taking us? Where is it pushing us? Where do we feel pressured to conform? You know, there's always a peer pressure at some level. You think that it's really bad when you're 14? Don't kid yourself. It's still bad when you're 34 and when you're 44 because the neighbor next door gets a new car and then your wife says, why don't we have a new car? And, and, and then you go, okay, yeah, let's go get one. And then you hock yourselves up out of, way into debt that you, don't, you can't afford. And that's conforming to the thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a new car and there's not anything wrong with, with, with mortgaging it or having it on, on payments. But when you can't afford it and you're pressured into doing something you know you shouldn't do, then you're conforming. You're being pushed into something that is not godly. Somebody say amen. That is passive acceptance. We just sort of lay back and just let it happen to us. And we have to actively be pursuing the, the, the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? If I will let God transform me by something I'm willing to do, and that is to renew my mind, to reform my thinking, then he promises that I can prove what his good and acceptable and perfect will is, what it is for my life. All right, uh, Abraham Maslow was a very famous uh, behavioral psychologist, said these words, in any given moment we have two options, to step forward into growth or to step back into safety. The status quo is safe. The comfort zone is safe. We feel good there. We know it. It's familiar. We've, we were raised there, or this is, this is the way we particularly like it. But there's no growth option in that safe place. We have to step out and take a risk. Peter had to throw his leg over the side of the boat when Jesus says, come to me, walking on the water, doing the scientifically impossible by the supernatural faith of God and the word of the Lord that called him out. Any given moment, we have two options, to step forward into growth or to step back into safety. Look at your neighbor and say it like you mean it. Come on, nothing changes if nothing changes. Point number two, reform. This idea of it puts transformed in the front, but actually it is the object of the renewing, of the reforming. 
Don't be conformed to this world. Don't copy their behavior, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the reforming of your thinking. So reformed is the the concept. Literally, if you look it up in the Greek, it gives the word renovate, renovation. Have any of you ever renovated the, the bathroom in your house, maybe master suite, or maybe you've put in a new kitchen? Now, do you re- realize that when you renovate something, you have to take time to tear out the old in order to make room for the what? The new. So when you tear out the old, what happens? It's a huge mess. It's an outrageous, uncomfortable, disheveling, just confusing. How are we going to live like this? It's going to take six weeks, which means it actually is going to take 10 because whatever they tell you, it's going to take longer. Whatever the estimate is, add some zeros to it because it's always going to cost more and take longer than what you expect. I know that in this building. And God's met us every way. When we get in there, I'm going to give you some testimonies. I hadn't even shared yet. It blows my mind every time we turn around. They said we couldn't have so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And they ended up going back. And I'm going to end up telling my story if I don't. But God just ended up giving us everything we wanted and not for one penny more than what we'd started out with. <laughs> Reform means to renew. It's renovation. Uh, I guess I'm an old geezer. Dawn and I, for years, had watched all those home renovation shows, Fixer Upper and the HGTV, all the crashers, you know, the yard crasher and the kitchen crasher and the bathroom crasher, all the crashers. And crash is right because when you come in to redo it, you're going to make a big mess. And sometimes in the middle of a mess, there's a whole lot of frustration. Everybody say frustration. And that's what happens when stuff begins to change. And you're longing for when it's finished, but you're enduring the process of the change. And that's the difficult, costly, sometimes painful part. Norman Vincent Peale, minister of the gospel, late 50s, 1960s, wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And I don't know what you think about that. It's a biblical principle, and you can take anything to, a, to an extreme, and it, becomes, uh, it gets off. But this is, this is legit. He says, change your thoughts, and you change your world. And I believe that's totally true. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, finish it if you know it, so is he. Say it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you meditate on, what is in front of your thinking all the time, what is alluring you, what is drawing you, what is tempting you, what is getting your attention, what you're paying attention to, is the direction you're headed in. Are you being pulled into something, pressured into something, conformed to an image of something that you know is not the right direction to go into? You have the ability to choose those thoughts. You can change your world by changing the direction of your thinking. You can turn the channel on the TV screen of your mind. You can think thoughts that the Lord has for you for great vision to build an amazing family and build into your wife and, and, and to be able to, have a, to raise champions that are, that are going to be great, that will be world changers in their own right, and, and to invest in your community and to grow a business and to, and, and to help your career begin to flourish, all for the sake of the glory of God. When you begin to have a vision and think thoughts that are according to the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, God says, if you'll begin to change your thinking, I'll transform you in your life. I'll make you a whole new person. Three people agree with that. The rest of you, are y'all asleep this morning? All right. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything, says George Bernard Shaw. You have the ability, made in the image of God, you have a co-creative ability 
that's part of the Imago Dei, part of the image of God that's stamped into you, that you have the ability to take the resources God put on this planet and create something, form something, make something. Do you realize that whenever the beginning of time was, that out there in those resources in that garden, that Adam could shake those trees, and we've shaken those trees long enough that out has fallen a cell phone. And out has fallen, gosh, this is 80-year-old technology, radar. I wish, the, I wish my, my brothers in blue on the highway didn't have that sometimes. <laughs> that, that wouldn't even in my notes. That's just the parade across here. All of the technology... I shared with you last Sunday, can you imagine the fact that it's literally been in the last century, in the last 100 years, uh, your, some of your grandparents didn't have a refrigerator. They had an ice box. That's why, that's why your, your mom and dad or your grandparents grew up talk, calling it an ice box and not a refrigerator. Refrigeration literally came in the 20th century. The automobile, the computer is just as of late that we all have one. We're, we're walking. I'm carrying one right here. I have more books on this little iPad right here than some people in the past have had in a whole library. It's crazy the changes that have taken place. And, and what I have to do in order to be able to grow and thrive in that environment is I have to be willing to change my thinking about things. And, and, and I want to tell you, the first place you should go is the Bible. What does the Word say? Say that with me. What does the Word say? Psalm 119 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jeremiah said, Your Word, O Lord, is like a hammer that will crush rocks. Your Word, O Lord, is like a fire that will burn away the dross. And so this morning, I would say to you that if there's a hardness in your heart, let the word of the Lord bring the hammer down. Let him, let him crush and bring a softening. If there's dross, if there's impurity, if there's alloy, tin, and God says, I want to bring pure gold out of your life, then let, let him turn up the heat a little bit in the circumstances that you're going through. And I promise you, he will, he will bring forth for the, from the refinery for something that has been tried in the fire, something that is pure gold and made in his image. Somebody say amen. 2 Corinthians 3.16, the Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. That's not just a, a cool verse for preachers to memorize, but it basically says the Word of God, all of it, is to teach you something. That's the way you're supposed to go. That's, that's the route to your destination. You, you plug it in on your GPS, and this is the shortest route to get to it. Walk in the will of the Lord, obey the will of the Lord, do what God says, prove his good and acceptable and perfect will, and it will get you without as, the fewest problems as possible if you'll stay on the road. The problem is, is that we like to get off the road once in a while. I went to Alabama a month ago to have uh, lunch with a friend of mine, and, and uh, you know, after a while, I got to pull over and get me a Pepsi or a Coke, or whatever it is you like to drink. And, you know, as soon as I pull off, this nagging voice woman on the GPS is going, proceed to the route, proceed to the route. I don't know why they made it a female. Proceed to the route. And, and I'm, I'm just going, I, I, I don't get that. You know, and I, I, all I want is just I want to get a Diet Dr. Pepper is my, my, my poison. And so I, I went in to get it, and then uh, actually I remember it wasn't actually Diet Dr. Pepper. I saw a sign for a McAllister's, and I wanted some sweet tea. And they have really good sweet tea. And so I pulled over and I had to take a couple of blocks down to get off the interstate and, and go. And, and, of course, by the time I'm down there, it's already going recalculating and the woman's going crazy in the car. 
And so what I want to give you is this an illustration. I had a charted course. I had, I, was, I had a destination. I was going to Huntsville, Alabama, and I veered off the road just for a little bit to, to, to get something to drink, take care of business while I was in there, and come get back in the car. And, and I was off the path a little bit. And this is what I want you to see. The path was the charted course. That's the teaching that's in the Bible. And then the Bible says it's not only good for teaching, charting your course, but it's good for reproof. Reproof is where you got off, how you got off the charted course, where you made the wrong turn. It identifies it. Proceed to the root. The Spirit of the Lord inside you will begin to whisper. It's not going to nag. It's, it's, it's not going to you know, say strange little words like recalculating, but he's going to move in your life to draw you back to where you know you ought to be. Somebody say amen. So I'm shown from the word where I got off. But just like that GPS in my car starts to recalculate and says, go down to so-and-so and turn left, and then two blocks you'll be back on the right road. This is what correction means. This is correcting my path. It's recalculating my course to get me back onto the right path. So the Bible is the charted course. The Bible will show me, reprove me to show me where I got off. It will recalculate and help me get back on teaching, reproof, correction. The last one is instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay on the right path how to continue to abide and, and, and be between the lines and obey the speed limit and get there safely. Come on, somebody. Are, are, do you see the illustration this morning? All Scripture, the whole Bible is showing you the way, shows you where you got off, shows you how to get back on, and then shows you how to stay on it. So we need to go to the Word. It shouldn't be the last thing we do. It ought to be the first thing we do. And if it's the first thing we do, we give it first priority. We should give it final authority. It should finally answer, this is the direction I'm to go in. This is the will of God for my life. Now, you can't open it up and it tell you which of two job offers that you had to choose. God entrusted you with the ability to think rationally, to seek his face for wisdom, and then to make a decision. And you know what? If you give your heart to him, there are no mistakes. He's only just going to give you a learning experience, which will be wonderful to grow from. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give him praise. It was Socrates the Greek philosopher that said this, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. See, the Bible talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, which is renewed after the image of Christ. Your whole focus is not about what you shouldn't do. Your whole focus now is all about who you are and not who you used to be. You can't keep thinking the way you used to think before you came to Christ. Just like a married man can't keep thinking like a single man, and all the ladies said. Amen. Now, you can have a little time once in a while and go hang with your buddies. But you know what? If all of them are single and you're the only married dude, you're going to have to guard your heart because they're going to be talking about stuff that your attention's back at home. Don't shout me down now because I'm preaching so good. Yeah, I am on a roll, Pastor Donnie. Help me out here. The amen corner is sitting on the front row. You can't keep thinking like you did before you came to Christ because you're a new creation now. You can't keep thinking like you did before you got married because you're not single anymore. You, you have made a commitment. You've laid your life down and said before God and witnesses and friends, I will and I do, and now God's expecting you to follow through. You focus your attention on something else, guess what's going to happen? You look over there, you're going to drive that way. 
You need to keep your attention on the things that God has joined you to and is blessing. Somebody say amen. John Calvin, one of the leaders of the Reformation in the 16th century, gave us this phrase. He said that the church should always be Semper Reformanda. Say it with me. Semper Reformanda. You remember the, the marine slogan is Semper Fidelis. Semper means always. Fidelis means faithful. Marines live by the code of being always faithful. This Latin phrase, always Reformanda, always changing. The church has to be Semper Reformanda. And that's because we are worshiping an unchanging God, which means I have to change to become and grow like him. The intention of God in Romans 8, 29 was that we would be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Totally different Greek word, not the same as that Greek word, conformed to the world. But this is that God is forming you to be like his son Jesus. Somebody say amen. The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change, but the realist adjusts his sails. Winds may be blowing contrary to you to accomplish your goals, and you can just sit around and say, well, I'll wait till they change, and I'm, I'm positive I believe they'll change. Or you can get up and go, wait a minute, you know what? I have the ability to adjust my sails, and even though it's just blowing right in my face, I can use these sails to help direct the place, the direction of this ship that I'm in. The vision that God has for me, I can make it through this difficult season of challenge if I will listen and I will see what the Word says. Somebody say amen. Finally, number three, and I'm finished. Say, tell your neighbor right now, nothing changes if nothing changes. Number three is transform. Everybody say transform. I would ask you the question this morning, where is the Spirit of God working in your life? Where do you see the Spirit of God working? When you can identify that, then join Him and it's amazing what God will do. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Put those two verses together. What God works in, I have to work out. I have to walk through it. He works into me the will to do something. Everybody say the want to. The will and the to-do, that's the want to and the willingness to take action. The will and the to-do of his good pleasure. Now, this is what the word of the Lord tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to this. And we all, with unveiled face, 2 Corinthians 3, he's talking about the law that was a veil over the face of Israel until they came to Christ and then God removed the veil. They, they were able to see clearly. And it says, and we all with an unveiled face, everybody say behold. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being what? Say it. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Oh man, that just means things are getting better and better if you learn to walk with the Lord. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. If things are getting worse and worse in your life, honey, turn around. You're going in the wrong direction. Recalculate your path. Get back up on the charted course that God has for you and prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord in your life. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching real good right now. Come on. Be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love this. This is the Greek word metamorpho. 
Well, yeah, big deal. So what? Somebody says, yeah, I know a little Greek. He owns a restaurant down there. Uh, <laughs> metamorpho. This is the English word metamorphosis. Come on, you learned this in seventh grade biology, biological science, I think at that point, maybe ninth grade biology. Metamorphosis. Meta means change. Morpho is form. Meta, change, morph, form. When something morphs, it's changing form. Metamorpho, change form. Metamorphosis is the idea of God taking a worm and making it something beautiful, something that used to be bound to the ground now has the ability to soar and fly. Oh, come on, that'll preach so good. Come on, somebody. Are y'all awake this morning? And your little nasty, grubby self, before you came to Jesus... Nasty, low down, no good sinner, every one of us were, but God took a caterpillar, he took a worm, and he, he, uh, he, he put something inside that worm that he literally spun his own casket, and that's called understanding the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, taking on that death, believing into him who died for us and was raised again. And guess what? When the caterpillar spins the cocoon, his own casket of death, And something starts happening on the inside of that nasty, sluggish, disgusting, crawling worm. Something starts happening internally on the inside. Transformation is an internal to the external. The world wants to come and make you pressurized from the outside, pushing you in, trying to conform you to an image or to an idea of of, of what they think that you ought to be. And I want to tell you, God doesn't pressure you from the outside. He starts something working on the inside in a quiet place when it's dark. And and when you feel like there ain't nobody that even knows what's going on, do they even care if I'm even alive? It's in those moments of those cocoon times where, where God starts pressing you into himself and he begins to just say, come on, open your heart, put your trust in me. Let me show you what real faith is. Let me give you a taste of my grace. Let me put inside you some hope that you have forgotten what hope tasted like. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of what you think is dying in death, there's really a transformation that's taking place. Just like a seed that goes into the ground, it dies before the germination takes place and it produces something that looks entirely different, a whole new kind of crop, a whole new plant. What comes up out of the ground doesn't even resemble what went into the ground. Come on, our little, our little mealy efforts that we have done to try to help God, if you'll just let God plant it and stay there, God will resurrect you and build something out of you that'll be a beautiful thing. He will take your slimy, wormy caterpillar self and he'll turn you into a butterfly that's no longer bound to the ground, but you can soar in the heavens because that's what you were made to do. That's who you were made to be. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Oh, I'm preaching so good, I'm making myself happy. Where is the Spirit of God working in your life? It's the raw edge of a challenge. It's It's the sting of a disappointment. It's the hurt of discouragement. It's God, where are you in the middle of death? God, I've been in a cocoon in my own life, in my own heart, and I've begged God, please don't let me waste a second Lord, let me emerge out of this. Let me struggle out of this. The worst thing you can do is see somebody struggling in a cocoon and go try to help them and cut that thing open because it's the struggle that drives the life juices into the wings of that monarch. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is fix a situation for somebody else because they need to learn to trust God for themselves. Man, I'm preaching so good. Hallelujah. 
when, when, you, when you get in there and you meet God and you go, I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where my direct, next direction is. I don't know the path that I'm supposed to take. And you let everything of your own ambition die and you say, God, I'm yours. I give you myself. Lord, I ask you to take my life, everything that I am, everything that I'm not, everything I have, everything I've got, it's yours. It's amazing what he can begin to do when we will willingly give ourselves because then he can take us in that moment and strength begins to surge and we start to wrestle and the cocoon cracks open. Forgive me. This message has been way too good. I had to have one slip. Sometimes the cocoon does crap open. You know what I'm talking about. And it's just everywhere. If you're in hot water, you might as well take a bath. (laughs) Life happens, people. If that offends you, I'm sorry. Let's move on. Hallelujah. Cracks open. My last point and I'm finished. Have you got anything out of this Sunday, today? Active beholding is becoming. What you looking at, Willis? What you paying attention to? This is what I want you to see. Let's look at it one more time. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with an unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want the praise team, if you would, to come back. We're going to do the end of the service a little differently than we normally do. Not just prayer, but we're going to have a worship moment. And uh, I just, I just want to say to you that one of the biggest things you have to do is let God reform your thinking about who He is. We've had so, we, we're, we're marinated. We're soaking in humanism that comes at us from every kind of media that is possible. Printed, television, music that is written with less than a godly motive. And nothing wrong with secular music. Secular music can actually glorify God if there's some people that have got some sense writing it. My baby girl's one of them who's writing some good secular music. all I could do to hold it together this morning because she sent me last night via text the rough of a new single that's coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, and actually in November that she'd written and I just was just a bag of tears on the way in going God I can't imagine how that baby came from my life this talent this skill this the doors that the Lord is opening it's because she's focused and she's giving it to the Lord not letting the conforming powers of the world try to make her into something you don't want to be. And I believe that kind of opportunity is for every person in this room. God has a blessing that is waiting for you. That if you will chart your course and you'll go to the Word and say, what does the Word say? We we need to reform our thinking about who God is because we've had such an, an old order religious kind of thinking. I think people sometimes confuse our Heavenly Father with the Greek mythological Zeus on Mount Olympus. A God who's just so ticked off all the time and angry and just the slightest thing can just send him in orbit and he's ready to put lightning bolts down into your very existence. I want to tell you, that's not the God that I serve. The God I serve is a loving Heavenly Father who loved every one of you in this room so much, he sent his Son, his uniquely only begotten Son, to die for you and in your place. That's how much he loves you. He he knows our frame. He knows we're dust. He knows we struggle. He knows what we're tempted with. He knows where our thoughts are. 
He is not sitting up, sitting up there poised, ready to blow your head off with a bazooka from the hill of heaven somewhere. That's not God. Where do we get that kind of nonsense? Our Heavenly Father is absolutely wild and crazy about you, and we need to let the Lord change our thinking about this because what you look at, what you worship, what you behold, you're becoming like. So many Christians in the Bible Belt South are angry and they're disgruntled and they're judgmental and they're pharisaical and they they look like they were baptized in prune juice and been sucking on a lemon all all the way to church. Don't have any joy. Angry. Ticked off. That's because they're worshiping the idea of a God who's angry and ticked off all the time. What would it be if we just just relinquish ourselves to the amazing awareness that this God is so crazy about you, he has your individual picture on his refrigerator in heaven. I know he doesn't have a refrigerator. Please don't come up and don't, don't send me emails. It's just, everybody say illustration. He's crazy about you. I want you, if you would, I want you to stand with me this morning. Lights are down. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.